What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, the podcast that gives you your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. I am here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, how are you doing today, man? Hey, man. I would be doing a lot better if there was a new Kanye record to listen to. Alas, we did not get it. So I'm doing just okay. How about you? You know, uh, I'm doing okay as well. We have a lot to talk about regardless. We, we both were pretty skeptical that this Kanye record would actually be dropping. So uh, I, I had a, a friend reach out that said, so where were you placing your bets? Kanye record or no Kanye record? I said, uh, pretty sure no Kanye record is coming this weekend. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but we got movies, uh, music, some movie news to be talking about. So we got quite a packed show still. Before we jump into it, hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. Go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to find all the ways to check out the podcast. And give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Also, follow us on Twitter at nostalgiapod. Do it. All right. Dave, our national nightmare is over. <laughs> Spider-Man 3 is announced. Sony he was and Marvel. saved, baby. Spider-Man was saved. They came to an agreement. <laughs> And in 2021, July, Spider-Man 3 will be dropping. Mm. How are you feeling about this news? So I, I mean, I think most people that reacted to it, us included, certainly did not close the door on this kind of comeback happening. But I think I was a little surprised about how soon it was. You know, We talked about the merits behind Sony's decision to hold firm before. Check that video out on YouTube. But, you know... I guess Disney probably was the one who was probably a little more desperate about it, to be honest, because we know the deal was 25% financing for 25% of a cut. Disney originally was pushing for 50-50. So that's probably a win in Sony's book, in my opinion. Um, but I was actually most surprised just about how soon it's going to be, because when we talked about the Marvel Phase 4 MCU Phase 4 announcements out of San Diego Comic-Con, later D23, we remarked that 2021 already had three movies. And now there's four MCU entries for the first time in one year. That's uh, a lot. You know, We also have two DC movies that year as well. It's a lot of superhero movies in like a seven-month span. Uh, but you know Feige was a big fan of the Spider-Man character, and I think he just wanted to get it done. But man, he's going to be busy. Yeah, he's got a lot going on. And, you know, it's it's going to be weird because we have the longest layoff without a Marvel movie mm-hmm. in the last, what, decade? And then it's gonna just going to ramp up and it's going to be pretty much Marvel all the time in your face through right. the end of 2021. So, That's right. Uh, they have all the shows, really, in 2021. I really forgot. I think they have four TV shows yep. on Disney Plus as well as all the movies. Yeah, a ton of shit. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. And you mentioned Kevin Feige being a, a busy guy. It's going to be even busier because Disney has tapped him to direct a Star Wars movie in the future. Um, and you have to imagine that this also includes him in some way shaping the Star Wars cinematic universe moving forward. Uh, how do you feel about this news? I, I'm, I'm intrigued, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly how I feel about it. Let, let's talk it out. Yeah, I think there's two sides to it. And depending on what you want out of Star Wars moving forward, probably depends on what side you're on. Uh, Kevin Foggy, certainly the most successful film producer of the last few decades, at least, uh, is best at kind of what commanding a brand, weaving things into it, but keeping a tone, a feel, a look pretty consistent throughout. That's really why the MCU is as successful as it is. It's just really accessible and familiar most of the time, uh, of course. And then when things are less familiar, that's why we get so excited about them. Black Panther, Ragnarok, for example. Now, there's a bad side to that. We know that uh, MCU or Marvel Studios in particular has been uh, not the best place for directors. They kind of want more ingenue, uh, up-and-coming directors that they can kind of meld and shape and point in the direction they want. Uh, look at Captain Marvel. Look at Ant-Man, of course, Edgar Wright dropping out. Lots of instances of this. Um, doing that kind of wholesale unification approach to Star Wars uh, is interesting just because that has not happened. You know, 
Uh, you can start with the original trilogy, right? Original trilogy, George Lucas doesn't even direct them at the end. It's Irvin Kirshner, right? And mm-hmm. uh, Lawrence Kasdan has a much bigger influence at the end. And the prequels, that's all George. And these new ones, we know, of course, J.J. the first one, Ryan Johnson the second one, much different tone, much different structurally, narratively, uh, what it values, what it doesn't. Um, meanwhile, Rogue One, Gareth Edwards is effectively fired for the third act. Tony Gilroy comes in to finish it off to mm-hmm. make the product better. And then even more extremely, Solo, of course. Lord <laughs> <So laughs> Miller literally fired for uh, vanilla as-it-comes as director Ron Howard to get it over the finish line, right? So I still want to see that, that Jim Carrey-esque Han Solo impression. I need to see it. <laughs> it's like the Snyder Cut, man. Put it yes. out. Uh, so with that in mind, I guess a lot of people, and perhaps Disney, maybe the shareholders, is a, you know, this is probably how they're feeling about it. Let's just get Star Wars back to a uh, less fallible position because you know we won't be as saturated with Star Wars moving forward, and that probably was a... Uh, ultimately a mistake, the six movies, six years plan that uh, we got. But also Feige, he hasn't really missed with anything on a grand scale. Obviously, he's had better movies than others, but um, I guess his pitch just won him over. You know, I mean, I'm just kind of, I'm honestly just curious about what this means for the future for the other people we know are involved, Benioff and Weiss and Ryan Johnson. But what was your take on it? Yeah, you know, it's, I'm excited because I think there's real potential here for this next phase of Star Wars post Skywalker story, uh, which we're being told is wrapping up after episode nine to be really interesting and to be Marvel esque where I'm a, I'm a bit concerned is um, I have a lot of faith in Kevin Feige to make something good, but where is this going to become too Marvel-esque? Like, I think there's a mm-hmm. there's a difference in a way between Star Wars and, and Marvel in terms of Star Wars has followed around a set group of characters for a long period of time. And they, they started to branch out with things like Rogue One. Um, you know, even some of the, the cartoons have characters that obviously were not in the uh, original storyline or were added. So there's there's mm-hmm. some interesting nuggets there but is kevin feige gonna be that creator where he's like coming up with new characters or is he gonna be taking old characters and building out storylines that people want to see pretty interesting to think about you know there's always been the talk about the uh the old jedi sith wars and and going back Mm -hmm. to things like that which old republic yeah the old republic could be a really interesting time frame but Where Feige, what Feige had coming into Marvel was he had these set group of superheroes who were certainly not as popular as they are now when he took it over and he built them up as characters. But he had these already pre-established characters. Can he either take the IP from Star Wars or create new IP for Star Wars that's as interesting as Marvel? I'm not, I'm not super sold on it, but right. I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued. I'm, I want to see where it goes. Cause Feige, he's good at weaving the shit in. If you're taking, uh, you know, a character or two from this galaxy and then they have to team up with characters from this galaxy and you can have these sorts of movies, it could be potentially really, really fascinating. Right. And I mean, I think for any adult fan of star Wars, whether they were an adult fan back in the day or now, uh, has always seen Star Wars as like the ultimate sandbox when it comes to IP. There's so much potential for things to be done there. And we, obviously, we've seen a lot of that in the video games, and the comics, and the books, and we expect great things of the Mandalorian in this respect. But this, the you know, the Skywalker focus throughout the films maybe has held it back in terms of just truly getting weird and truly, you know, just exploring other stuff and. You know, I think in a certain sense, Feige will be exploring new things because we, as we said, we're being told that we'll be leaving this era behind. I mean, I still don't know how easy that is to believe until we really get it, of course. And, you know, Benioff and Weiss did sign that big Netflix deal. And they also are creators that have really only worked on one thing at a time. They're not exactly a Shonda Rhimes or Ryan Murphy, who also are with Netflix, who have lots of projects in the tank at once. So I'm just curious, you know, when the reporting of that Netflix deal uh, came out, we knew that they were still committed to at least one Star Wars movie, but perhaps they won't actually do that whole trilogy. Also, this has sounded like Feige's thing was an original pitch. So 
with Benioff and Weiss drop out. We know Ryan Johnson's trilogy, the last we've heard, is still very conceptual, doesn't appear close or anything. So everything's still very much in flux. So I think the influence for Foggy really might be up to how much he wants to do because, as we just said before, he has a lot of MCU stuff in the pipe. Maybe he'll take a step back from Marvel in terms of being more of in a leadership role, maybe produce less. I'm not sure, but there's only so much time for him, and he really uh, has his his feet in a lot of a lot of pots. So I don't know. Yeah, I think with Marvel moving into its next stage, there probably will be some sort of like passing the torch in a sense that he'll be doing a little bit less production, maybe just some more executive type stuff, and uh, passing the more hands on to another creator. Um, but I, it seems like Disney really wants to make sure that the the next steps for Star Wars are being handled effectively which makes sense because it's the most valuable ip in the world so uh need to make sure that your your golden goose is taken care of mm-hmm. uh, speaking of golden gooses i'm not really i mean kanye west he's he's a goose at least that's uh, for sure. jesus is king supposed to be dropping this past friday according to kim kardashian and uh, in, in a sense, it did drop. People have heard the album. If you mm-hmm. went to a listening party in Detroit or Chicago or New York City this weekend, mm-hmm. you got a chance to listen, watch a documentary by Kanye, and buy a T-shirt for 50 bucks or a sweatshirt for $140. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty good deal. That's about, about, about normal for his, his merch. So, <laughs> I mean, sadly true. Jesus is king. The Kanye West experience not dropping as an album. Dave, are you surprised? Hell no. <laughs> we, we heavily prefaced this last week that we would review the album if it was out, not when it was out. And when we got the audible from Kim that, oh, the mix is being worked out Sunday. Like We know for the past two album cycles with Kanye that he's just at a stage now where he's a tinkerer, he's a patcher. We are in the Pablo moment right now. The album exists in a pretty finished form, but just the way he is now, he likes to tweak and change and re- re- remix, re-record, remaster. And it's hard to get him to commit to anything. As we saw with Pablo, even after it was officially dropped, he still did, he, he changed Wolves. He dropped, he added St. Pablo, you know, it's like mm-hmm. nothing's ever finished with his kind of output anymore. Um, but it is nice that it, it it does exist in a finished form. You know, it sounds like the industry people were pretty well attuned to the the progress of the album. I mean, they were kind of playing spoiler all weekend being like, it's Kanye, but you, know, so you never know, but I'm hearing it's not coming out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all the universal people are w- well in. So it's not like Kanye's off the rails in that regard. Um, but yeah, uh, now we know there's no release date at all. So who the hell knows? Uh, I'm sure we'll hear it in the next couple of weeks. Uh, probably thinking about the whole thing, the fact that we didn't predict it to drop on a Sunday. I mean, like, what are we doing? It's Jesus is King. He's had this whole Sunday church thing. It'll probably drop on a Sunday and it'll probably have like a big listening party on uh, one of his Sunday sessions or whatever it's called. Sunday service. So, Sunday service. So I'm sure we'll be getting it soon, but we'll, we'll save more Kanye discussion for that time. I want to hear your thoughts on this young MA record though. Because you were uh, encouraging me to listen. I didn't get around to it. But you, you definitely had some uh, interesting comments uh, pre-recording about it. So <laughs> tell me some more about Young M.A. Well, this is funny because this is Young M.A.'s debut album. And legitimately, not the, the hokey Chance the Rapper kind. It's legitimately her debut album. But it's been about two years. Uh, I think over two years now since Young M.A. blew up with her big hit, uh, Ooh. And, you know, that was 2017. She, or actually I think that was 2016, 2017, she declined XXL, you know, a bit of a flex at the time. That was starting to become in vogue around that time anyway. But we had this viral hit from this New York rapper, very charismatic, but she's always been notorious for killing it on her freestyle. So she had a big successful flex run a few weeks ago that uh, was trending and whatnot. And, we've kind of just wanted to get that project. You know, I think she only has like two mix official mixtapes out uh, her story and uh, maybe some of the EPs I forget, but yeah, we've been waiting for that, 
you know, where, where's the where's the Young MA project? Because New York has been coming back in a certain extent, but not in the traditional ways. Of course, your A Boogies, your little TJs, they don't exactly sound like Young MA, who's really just a you know a, a rapper's rapper in, in the true sense. And once we got it, uh, her story in the making debut album out now. It's, it's long. It's about an hour ten minutes, but. It's kind of just more Young M.A. And in a sense, I found it a tad underwhelming. Like Young M.A. is really good at telling you how she's going to steal your bitch and makes her feel way better than you ever could, right? That's her thing. And she's really good at it. She has lots of funny lines all the time. Um, and I guess she gets into like imposter syndrome a little bit on this album, but because it's so long, there's a lot of bloat, repetitive stuff. Uh, I kind of fell out of the uh, lyrical moments that were here. Um, so it feels like this is a little late. Like this came out back in like 2017, you know, when the blow, when, you know, the hype was at the highest level, I think it'd be much more satisfying for people. But I think the added wait time probably brought it down. Um, so there's still still good stuff on here. You know, some of the lead up singles like big uh, petty wop, there's, there's good stuff. And in general, I think she just has kind of a high floor, but she didn't take that next step. I think a lot of people were hoping for given this, uh, this lead up. So a little underwhelming. Well, underwhelming. It's okay. I mean, it sounds like there's still some good stuff on there. And for a debut album, getting a couple good tracks can be a success, but it sounds like the baby is having a much bigger year than young. Ma. I mean, he seems to be a breakout star this year, huh? I mean, definitely second album in six months. <laughs> and the first one gained a lot of attention. Did we review that? I think we did, right? We didn't review Baby on Baby. I actually was a little late to it. Uh, not till the, obviously his big hit, Day Breakout hit, uh, uh, Suge came out. And that's got like 200 million plus on Spotify already. That was, you know, he catapulted it onto the XXL radar, acquitted himself pretty well in those ciphers and freestyles and whatnot. And honestly, I think all summer we've been talking about him just because he's been on a really strong feature run, like Stallion, uh, mm-hmm. the Panini Remix, Enemies, Post Malone, Hot Summer, the Dreamville album. He's been everywhere all summer. He's been quite hot. And I think it's actually pretty smart to capitalize on that with dropping more stuff. So it may, I think it makes sense. So in comparison to Young M.A., this is a 35-minute album, not too long. But did it still have blow on it, Dave? Because I, what I, I kind of left with was there's a lot to like on this, but a lot of it started to feel a little bit samey by the end. How'd you mm-hmm. feel about it? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I think I'm of two minds where there's a lot, a lot I do like about him. And I think the production on this album is pretty great. You know, we talk about trap beats a lot, usually in a negative fashion. We like to talk about albums that have something else on the trap beats, but these are just lots of really good trap beats. So I thought the production sounded mm-hmm. good. Thing is though, yeah. his Suge flow uh, is all over this again. And that flow is pretty repetitive, I think because it's a little uh, grating to hear what sometimes he, he kind of, I feel like the baby falls into the logic Eminem. Let me cram syllables into each bar, even if it doesn't make sense. Rhythmic, rhythmically doesn't really sonically sound that good. He just does it anyway. Sometimes it's fine. It's not a big deal. Other times I think it just kind of muddles the song. So I don't love that flow all the time. Um, I actually been kind of curious why people, what actually made people get so attracted to him. I think it's really more about the, uh, the bravado he has, the confidence he exclaims. And ultimately he just makes a lot of fun records. But what I like most about uh, the second album, Kirk, is that he does change that flow up on a few points, like mm-hmm. iPhone, for example, a song that I think has a lot of radio uh, potential. That's really fun. And I think his, he yeah. has more of a crossover flow on that. And then you have Nikki switch it up with like a classic double-time flow. Uh, her delivery is great as well. So when DeBaby's not just kind of doing his formulaic DeBaby shit, this stands out. But overall, uh, I think it is a, he has a bit of a high floor on this just because, again, the production's pretty good. And he is such a confident guy. Like he's clearly in command of what he's going for at this time, but that's maybe not as high a bar as he thinks it is. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, if you really listen in, a lot of the tracks in in the middle, you, uh, you hear 
kind of that theme of like uh the baby's he's a tough guy like <laughs> and you don't you you shouldn't fuck with him um and that that's well and good and it's pretty fun to hear him like throughout these lines and throughout these barbs and just it, it it's fun to hear him rap over this trap music but the interesting stuff uh, to me is when it's something like intro where oh, it's yeah. a little more introspective and thoughtful and you're, and it sounds great and you're like huh there's like a lot here it's actually almost like off-putting to hear him start there yeah. and then shift Track back one. to like right then like shift back to this what he's used to because it's like oh there's a lot of potential in that first song for this album to be something a little bit more expansive or, or deeper mm-hmm. for the baby then he's like ah maybe next time so right. <laughs> uh, i don't know it, there, there's still a lot to like on this album don't get me wrong like you said iPhone already on our nostalgia best of 2019 playlist on Spotify. So check that out. Um, but I, I thought his song pop star with Kevin Gates is really good. Yep. Um, I even liked raw shit with Migos, even though I don't know if it's Migos best performance. It still is pretty fun to listen to. So. It's, it's, it's fun to enjoy a Migos song again, isn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't listened to a Migos song in a while. Oh, so man. I haven't had to listen to them. <laughs> what other songs stood out to you? uh yeah the iphone intro for sure um off the rip pretty cool i actually like gospel you know mm. i feel again him doing something a little different and molding in with chance i mean yk osiris i could uh give or take but he fits the song fine uh yeah that, that was pretty cool as well you know actually on toes uh, little baby and money bag yo i think that song's just fine but money bag yo and other guys like Young Dolph, these other Southern rappers that kind of exist in that mainstream, down-the-line, current Atlanta standard-bearing of rap these days. I definitely have baby a step above all those guys. I think he's just a little more interesting, even if I think this flow can uh, be cleaned up a little bit. And it was interesting, you know, you mentioned he's a tough guy. He is notorious for getting in fights in real life and shit. Obviously, he... Yeah. Uh, knocked that dude out in the mall that was pressing him and that just recently apparently his uh security knocked out a female fan at one of his performances so i think he uh definitely lives what he preaches both good and bad so um you know don't, i mean he, don't try him yeah he's but he's capping off a banner year and i mean talk about an unexpected coming out of nowhere shot to start him you know so i mean good for him i was gonna ask you other than meg the stallion Megan the Stallion, is he the maybe biggest riser in rap this year? Oh, yeah. They has to be those two. Gotta yeah. be. Um, I'm sure we'll probably be mentioning them on our, our wrap-up music pod this year. But uh, what a year for him. And uh, what a comeback for Sturgill Simpson with Sound and Fury, his fourth album, first in three years since 2016's A Sailor's Guide to Earth. And Sturgill Simpson for A Sailor's Guide to Earth uh, won Best Country Album at the Grammys, Mm -hmm. which he also lost Best Album of the Year to Adele that year, which he... he Didn't everyone. (laughs) Yes. Um, But it's interesting that he won Best Album, uh, Best Country Album because Sound and Fury... Not much country on this. Um, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty, pretty riveting forty, what forty one, forty five minute mm-hmm. listen, um, and it's pretty thumping. It came out with a an anime film yes. attached to it that was mm-hmm. dropped on Netflix. Did you get a chance to watch that? I did not, but the whole sto- whole story about the genesis of that's very fascinating because, on one hand, he basically it, so apparently it cost a. Uh, like $1.2 million, that anime movie. Hmm. And he just basically made the label uh, do it. He's like, yeah, this is something they had to do if they want me to turn in the album. <laughs> and it, the whole genesis of his uh, appreciation for Japanese culture and anime and all that is because he was stationed out there with the Navy back in the day. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he's just really kind of immersed in that. So really cool, cool stuff. And um, from what I've read, it's uh, really in your face, uh, uh, bit of anime, so that, that, that that's pretty sick. You, I mean, you can look into it. The the uh, people that made it, you know, and drew it and animated all that, they're they're all accomplished people that you have you know their credits. So he uh, didn't spare any expense with that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and 
interesting thing about it is um, not only is he a really, uh, I think, eclectic guy, and you can kind of hear that mm-hmm. in just the the way that his albums have gone from being this very country style. You know, when he first came up, people were comparing him to Waylon Jennings in terms of vocal style and like the twanginess and uh, guitar style. But he really has evolved. I mean, Sailor's Guide to Earth is like a very like uh, space odyssey <laughs> infused with um, country rock and meta modern sounds and country uh, was in country music was a druggy like sounding album. So he's, he's definitely doesn't fit neatly in a box. And I think he even pushed it further with sound fury. So to call this a country album, pretty loose term, but I think this is probably the best, what Queens of the stone age yeah. slash black keys album in years. Southern rock. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's awesome. And uh, I think what's so cool about it is, as you said, it's not Dave like Martinson stamp of approval on a rock album. Well, because it, well, it's hard as shit. That's why I like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I had really just kind of written him off uh, for my own personal enjoyment a while ago. I just kind of threw him in the Chris Stapleton bucket. You know, it's like oh, mm. like legit country fans, country artist. Cool, happy for you. Not my thing, but do you? Mm. And I mean, he did win best country album as you said at the Grammys. Yeah. But now to pivot off that pivot so. Uh, uh, strongly, you know, kind of pushing back fully against Nashville, something he had been doing when he was actually making country music. To really just totally reject that, at least temporarily, uh, is pretty sick. I respect the respect the move. Um, I yeah, respect I think that. I respect that. Now it's uh, <laughs> it's really great, and I think one of the lead singles, my favorite song on it, it's Sing Along. Uh, yeah. That's that's just a, a bop as far as hard rock goes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah and you know right from the get-go it just has this like thumping vibe to it It starts off with ronin this just like mind-melding uh guitar solo a wandering samurai just, yeah and it, it morphs from there following this this like kick drum beat throughout a couple the first couple mm-hmm. of songs i mean from Ronin to remember to breathe, sing along to a good look. It's just like yep. fantastic. Um, and you're, and you're going, you know, you're like, you're, you're racing through the album and then it slows down at parts like make art, not friends, or probably my favorite song, Merc- Mercury and retrograde. Yep. Those That's slow a great down one. a little bit. Yeah. It, that, that Mercury and retrograde reminded me a little bit of high horse from Casey Musgraves. Mm-hmm. Not, not in terms of like the dancingness of it, but like infusing this like disco y like, more funk vibe into the rock than it just it felt like it was pushing more boundaries for a, a rock country song than i had ever really been tuned into mm-hmm. and then you know even the the probably the, some of the lesser cuts on this like all said and done or best clockmaker on mars i still found really captivating and uh just a, an awesome listen sturgill I really appreciate him. I saw him live, I think, at Firefly a couple years back. And he, he fucking shreds. He goes so hard live. It was hard to like That's not awesome. be pulled in by him. But obviously not like a, I'm not a huge country fan. So it was like, eh. And, you know, he did some good covers. Like he did The Promise and he did yep. uh, Nirvana's. Um, what did he do? He didn't do Come As You Are. I don't think that was it. He didn't, in he Bloom? Didn't I don't remember. Yeah, it was in Bloom. Um, but he seems to be a guy that's very thoughtful and wants to make music his way. And I, I really appreciate that, that. He doesn't let himself get stuck as a country. artist. He even said, I could have had six country albums out by now, but right. why would I make the same shit over and over? Yeah. Carmonica did a really great profile about him in the New York times. I would recommend, uh, he went down to Sturgill's family, his home for him and his family. That's just in like rural ass Tennessee, you know, mm-hmm. far away from Nashville. That's just his thing. And John remarks, he's like, that's it. Like, it could be. <laughs> and Sturgill is so, so where he understands that he could just be a yes man and make that more middle of the road safe stuff and make way more money and tour a lot. But that's just not what he wants to do, you know? Yeah. And I was actually surprised reading that profile. I did not realize that he auditioned for True Detective season three alongside really? Herschel. He obviously didn't get it, but he was in there. He's in The Hunt, the unreleased movie we've talked about. Um, he's coming up in that uh, Queen and Slim movie. With Daniel Kaluuya in like next month, he's in that. So, talk about a, a polymath. That's pretty exciting. 
Um, also, I just wanted to note that in the, I think it's the first track where you hear the, uh, the, uh, the car on, on the album cover, like revving up, like yep, doing a burnout. It so I was walking that. Right. I was walking on the sidewalk when I started listening to it. And even though I knew what the cover looked like, I still like, looked over my shoulder to make sure I wasn't about to get run over. <laughs> like it was so hard. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> It, I was I was driving listening to it and I thought my engine was like taking over. I was like, "What is happening?" <laughs> uh, just just an awesome album. Uh, definitely check it out. And again, our now such a best of twenty nineteen already has uh, a couple of the songs from the artists we've talked about. So give that a, a follow. Dave, we're going to talk about Judy to wrap up the the pod. But I wanted to hear your review of Villains with uh, Pennywise, Bill Skarsgård. Yes. So right off the bat. It is great to see Bill Skarsgård doing something that's not super demonic in Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Um, because this movie, Villains, which was a uh, South by Southwest crowd pleaser earlier this year, uh, is a lot of fun. And that's kind of what uh, attracted me to the movie. It's uh, The most appealing thing about it is that it just has four great lead performances. Uh, Bill Skarsgård and Micah Monroe play Mickey and Jules, these kind of Bonnie and Clyde on the lamb kids that rob convenience stores and do coke and stuff like that not the uh, more 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 seedy group of people as the title might suggest and they stumble across the home of jeffrey donovan and keir sedgwick who they uh soon find out are even more twisted than uh they are that's really the pitch and i'm not going to spoil what happens but the movie is cool because it's quite it's quite a quite thrilling movie that has a lot of black comedy in it and plays off a lot of horror tropes. It's not scary at all. I was actually concerned at first. I was like, am I watching a scary movie? It's not a scary movie, uh, but it does kind of lampoon that a little bit. And starts off with a really uh, fast-paced thing that really like, uh, sucks you into it. And because all four of these performances are so magnetic in the movie, uh, it's just a really good time. And I think it presents some uh, larger ideas about goodness and, uh, you know... What, what you try and put into the world doesn't really explore those, but I think it's fine because ultimately it's really about the performances and what's so enjoyable about them. Uh, Micah Monroe, someone I've been aware of for a while. She was in a Independence Day resurgence, not the the the, the, big, the best movie ever, <laughs> of course, uh, but probably made her bones with It Follows back in the day, and she's coming up in a Honey Boy, the Shia LaBeouf movie. She's yeah. uh, definitely on a rocket ship to success. Uh, really, really compelling actress. And Bill, you know, I mean. I don't think he's doing anything as uh, overt as, you know, it, of course, but it's just cool seeing him show a different side to uh, his talent, you know? Uh, and the thing that was interesting to me, me about this too is when I was digging into it. Uh, so it's directed by uh, these two dudes. Uh, Dan Burke and Robert Ulse. Yes, there it is. I was like, I didn't even write their names down. Yes. Yeah, so these guys, this is their directorial debuts. This was a uh, blacklist script a few, uh, a few years ago that kind of got picked up and they, they got it made. And then it was picked uh, or sold to Gunpowder and Sky, which is this very independent distributor that uh, put out her smell with Elizabeth Moss early this year. But that's probably the first movie I've seen um, from Gunpowder and Sky. And I've since learned that they don't even have them put movies in AMC theaters. It was just in mm. Regal theaters and smaller, other smaller ones. So that was interesting. But yeah, I think Villains, uh, obviously this is uh, not a lot of theaters. It's going to come and go pretty quick, but it'll definitely get sold to streaming. So I 100% recommend it. I think it's a really fun time. It's only about uh, 98 minutes or something. So it's quick as well. But yeah, the performances are 100% worth it. So villains, definitely check that out when you get a chance. Yeah, I can't wait to see it on streaming. The, the trailer looks awesome. Um, I did have to go to a non-AMC theater to check out this, the next movie we're going to be talking, Judy. Um, and Judy is a biopic about Judy Garland, famous actress who... I'm, certain pretty much everybody's listening to this scene in the wizard of oz um i certainly hope so <laughs> yeah i mean w- w- i guess before we get too far into it what's your relationship with judy garland like um yeah good question um i was not familiar at all with her music career that's for sure that's oh. a big part of the movie um she i mean I, she was, I haven't seen her a star is born uh remake mm-hmm. but i was aware of it of course uh, I think that's the, the original star is it the original or the second one? I forget. 
thought um, she was the original. Let me check that out. Maybe it is. I don't know. But one of the early ones, of course, that was in the 50s, I think. One of her, I think oh. her, her second acting comeback. And uh, of course, Wizard of Oz, we know. She was 16 when she made that. Um, but I hadn't seen a whole lot of her other stuff. I mean, I mean, the Golden Age of Hollywood is definitely a, a, a black hole in my uh, watched films, that's for sure. Um, but I also I'd been aware of her, you know, her tragic uh, career and how it ended too soon and all that. But I didn't know the details. And I think this movie is effective at kind of communicating uh, the end of that, you know. But as a result, it's a bit of a conventional biopic, which can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on what you want. But ultimately, I, I did I did enjoy it. You know, I think it's a an effective what it's trying to do and. Uh, not that Judy Garland needs her praises sung. Obviously, she's quite well celebrated as one of the best things Hollywood ever created. But mm-hmm. you know, it's still a, it's still a little sad to uh to, to see the end that way. You know. No, absolutely, and you were right. It, it was a remake. Uh, the original had, um, sorry, Janet Gaynor and Frederick March, who I have no idea who that that is. But similarly to you, or something, yeah. Yeah, 1937 then garland's 54 so 10 years i think before this movie takes place right um yeah and i'm similar to you i was uh, i was aware she sang but i would never really listen to her her work much and uh obviously i was aware she was in movies but really only ever saw the wizard, wizard of oz and i think only from other people in my life who are a little bit more into her work was made aware of her troubles and um, you know, it's well-documented her substance abuse issues and uh, lack of lack of parental supervision, I guess you might say, or, or I mm-hmm. guess care as a kid. It's, it's really sad. Um, and I think the movie touches on it. Well, uh, before we get into probably the, the more interesting part of, of, this conversation i wanted to ask you how did you feel about this movie as a whole did you like it was it entertaining for you yeah so i think it's i think it's effective as one of these one performance biopics goes um i did think it sagged a little bit in the end maybe it was a tad long but the end ending scene which i mean we, i guess we don't spoil it but that the ending scene might be a bit cheesy but i also think it's incredibly well crafted to the point that it, it's uh you know, I heard some sniffling in 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 the audience with me. You know, it's uh, I think it it gets across what it wants to get across, and maybe that's too safe for some people. I totally see that, but I also don't have a problem with that because I think the main attraction, of course, it, with a one note biop one one performance biopic movie, is that one performance. And when it's as strong as Renee Zellweger is in this, um, it's hard to be too critical. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think. We, we all want our, our, our Sacha Baron Cohen takes on Bohemian Rhapsody, right? But it's hard for those to get made. So I think mean, this, is, this is pretty good, you know, as far as this goes. And I, again, the performance is so great that it's a must-watch, I think. Yeah, that, that's the thing is, uh, as, a, as far as a movie goes, it's, it's okay. Um, I think there's some moments where it really flies and some moments where it drags a bit. Um, but Renee Zell, Zell Wedger. Renee Zell- Zellweger is uh, the story here because her her career, um, you know, she was Bridget Jones. She was uh, you had me at hello, all, you know, very Cold famous. Mountain. Yep, very famous actress in the late nineties into mid nineties into the two thousands, and then tabloids, um, you know, uh, people commenting about her looks, her her face. Things like that uh, led her to have plastic surgery. Then she was even more scrutinized for having plastic surgery. And she really stepped away from the limelight from 2010 to 2016, mm-hmm. returning with Bridget Jones's baby in 2016, which was a box office su- success, uh, maybe not the meatiest role for her. And then since then, she hasn't really been in much. I think she's been in only a couple movies, um, none that were very successful right. critically or uh, commercially. So this is her real like comeback moment since 2010. And man, does she kill this role? Not only does she really like transform, but even though she sings and she doesn't really sing and sound like Judy Garland much, her singing performances are really just enthralling. And you're just kind of like sucked into everything she does. It's really impressive. 
yeah, I agree. I think the best parts of the movie are those singing scenes, sing and dance scenes at this, uh, uh, what was the name of the venue? It had a, it had a weird name. Uh, I didn't write it down. Yeah, the, the venue at London where she's mm-hmm. doing these shows right before she dies. And yeah, those, those are the best moments. I think that performance, because at this time, Judy Garland was, you know, quite uh, messed up, you know, abusing alcohol and abusing pills. Um, it lends to very jittery performance where the mannerisms, the head nods, the twitches and all that uh, lends itself to a showy performance. And she really does nail that. It reminded me a lot of uh, Chalamet and Beautiful Boy, to be honest, one of those mm. showy movies that maybe it's glorifying um, hardship to a certain extent, but makes for uh, a lot for the actor to chew on in the meantime, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best scene in the movie, I think it's pretty easily when she uh, meets that gay couple that are big fans of hers and goes back uh, to their apartment, uh, really, you know, captures the gay icon that Judy Garland was. That was another thing that I really wasn't aware of until I saw this movie and started reading up on it. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, That, you know, and uh, I forget what song, one of her famous songs they sing, but they sing it uh, acapella or acoustic, right? Which is the piano. So it's, uh, doesn't even matter. That doesn't sound like Judy because it's such a touching, uh, heartwarming scene. You know, that that's kind of like like that magic that you can get in historical biopics when the story is good, you know? Yeah. Um, one of the things I didn't like as much was it didn't really, I guess, maybe, I don't know, just, she's not a good mom at this time. Maybe she never was, I don't know. But they don't really comment on Judy being responsible for a lot of the, things that happened to her at this time in terms of not really having a home and mm. uh, everything her kids are going through at this time, you know, um, obviously she got fucked up by the studio system from a young age and went from there, but she also was the one who like kind of squandered a lot of her money. Right. And wasn't the mm-hmm. best mom. So it did, it did felt like they were portraying her as a big martyr at the end, which ultimately is correct. But the culpability I think was a little, uh, tough as well like whenever like rufus sewell who played her ex-husband and, and her uh mm-hmm. the father of her kids her two kids young kids uh whenever he would like actually like try and check her on stuff they would like end the scene you know so yeah that was just a little grating in the moment you know because it's like tough to watch someone who you know it's not all their fault or really their fault at all but i just can't accept what's happened you know it, it, it's, it's hard to watch i guess yeah, they, they really paint her as a tragic figure. Um, and I, I mean, I think there's a good a good amount of, of blame to be pointed at other people other than Judy. I mean, right. from the time she was what, 14, maybe even yeah. younger, she was thrown uh, to the mayor studio. Mayor at MGM, of course. Right. She was thrown to the studio system that was feeding her pills to go to sleep, feeding her pills to be awake. Uh, they allude to uh, potential sexual abuse. Um, within a uh, working long hours uh, it's yep. it's ridiculous the things that she went through however uh, i do feel like uh the moments where like sid calls her out and says like you know the lawyers you know people always ask like where's your star sid like mm-hmm. we can't make a movie like this sid and like they really kind of let that sit but don't ever really go back to it um i, I do think just from the beginning i was just kind of like man she really doesn't seem to be a great mom at this time uh you know having her kids out late performing with her kind of using them in a sense i was like i, I think they leave some of those things for you to to make that judgment yourself instead of having to say right. it outright which is actually funny for a film where the flashbacks are used to be so on the nose yes the other so straightforward like, <laughs> yeah you're, you're leaving certain things to be straightforward and then you're leaving this other stuff a bit unsaid um but overall i i thought the the piece I guess I didn't necessarily like, and this might just be my own taste, is I I felt like it was uh, it, it painted her her fourth husband in such a, a weird light, you know, like you yeah. couldn't really get a sense of him. Like in the beginning, I thought he might be a bit of a redemptive character, like someone who actually like is helping her rediscover something about herself. And then when you see him again, he's just this big goof loon right. who, who thinks she should be on stage with the Rolling Stones and. Uh, you just kind of like, I, I don't know. I, I like Finn Wit- Whitrock a lot too. He makes some yeah. good choices for movies. You know, he's been in Big Short, La La Land, Beale Street. But 
and that that role kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, and I was doing some more digging after seeing the movie. Uh, that guy, her last husband, I think ultimately was just quite the sleaze. You know, he yeah. apparently I think Liz, Liz Minnelli, of course, her her old older kid, uh, who's obviously very famous in her own right. Uh, she remarked that the day of the funeral, on the way back, they had to do a detour so her ex-husband could sign his book deal like that day, you Jesus. know, and like they do allude to him being a businessman with the deals and shit. So apparently that was actually how, really what he was one. like in real life. Um, yeah. You know, it's, this movie's directed by Rupert Gould, who is a theater director, um, does not really make feature film movies at all. And he doesn't really add much at all to this. I think all the theater theater scenes the performance scenes look nice they sound good but i think if we put this in a a more accomplished uh you know director's hands uh, maybe get some better cinematography in here you could have really elevated this even more i'm just thinking of something like darkest hour right where gary oldman mm. performance is so strong and so obviously one best actor for right but that movie also looks really cool yeah. and this movie i think just kind of looks uh, looks looks fine yeah, the, the, I agree. The scene where they're like walking through London, Mickey and her, when they're going shopping, I was like, this just looks like a movie set right now. Like it didn't right. look like London. Um, and Which I is think, bad because we see literally movie sets in the flashbacks, so it's like on the mind, you know? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think there could have been some some touches that a more accomplished director could have put on it. Do you feel like Renee Zellweger is the favorite? to win best actress right now that's been the talk right so she's the only one who the public has seen at this point uh right i think her main competition is scarlett johansson in marriage story we haven't seen that part performance the film has gotten a lot of acclaim most of the acclaim of course is going to adam driver but scarjo is right there as well from what we know from the festival uh reception cynthia revo for harriet is in the mix um what about my girl Lupita? Lupita, yeah. If anyone from earlier in the year could come through, it's probably her. Uh, Aquafina, farewell. Mm. Um, I'd love to see her get a nomination. Charlize and Bombshell, the Roger Ailes movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Sir Ronan probably will get in here for Little Women. You have to assume. Yep. But yeah, uh, I think she's definitely the favorite. Um, I'm assuming J Lo will go for best supporting, the way she runs it, but. Yeah, it's uh, probably her ScarJo unless something unforeseen happens. And, you know, the redemptive nature of Renee's career, as we touched on with the hiatus and how she kind of got chewed up and spit out by Hollywood and the press and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the meta nature of that juxtaposed with how Judy Garland's career went right. uh, is a pretty easy sell, I think. I agree. So, uh, I I. I would not have a problem with that. I actually would like to see that. I think so. That's uh, and it seems like she wants it. She had, she gave a very uh, eye-opening profile in Vulture, which is a good read as well. So uh, we'll be hearing a lot more from and about Zellweger for the next few months, no doubt. As, uh, as Sean Fennessy might say, she's running. Definitely. So, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to to seeing her get a nomination and potentially win um, without have seen without having seen the other roles. Certainly deserving. Um, it's quite a performance. I just want to give a shout out to two other people who are in this. Jesse Buckley. Yep. Um, who, also on my list. <laughs> yeah, you you were talking about the actress in the last movie who's on the rise. She's definitely on the rise. She's in Chernobyl. Going to be in Fargo next year. Uh, yep. Buy your Jesse Buckley stock now because she she's electric. She reminded me so much of Haley Atwell in this particular mm. role. And for a while, I was like, I want this to be Haley Atwell. But then I, then as the movie progressed, I was like, oh, no, Jesse Buckley's honestly making a lot out of nothing nothing in this movie, <laughs> which is, just speaks to her talent. Uh, yeah. Shout out Michael Gambon. Yes. Just kind of hanging out. Nice, nice to see Albus uh, kicking. That's cool. <laughs> I just, I just want, I just always imagine him yelling at Harry Potter for putting his name in the Goblet of Fire. Right. Just, can't, can't see him and not think about it. Anyone else on your list? Uh, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Finn already. I mean, there's mm-hmm. not a whole lot. A uh, shout out, um, Bella Ramsey, aka Liana Mormont, mm-hmm. playing the young daughter. When I'm watching in the beginning, I'm like, "Who the fuck is this?" I picture yep. her face. Who is this? And then it came to me like in a few minutes. I was like, "Ah, oh, yes, R.I.P. <laughs> Liana." <laughs> yeah, she was. She was pretty good too. For also not yeah, having a lot of 
So yeah. Yeah. Um, I was actually going to ask you. So this movie, uh, A minus in the score, three point one million out of only four hundred sixty one theaters. That's a excellent start for a movie. This type of adult drama. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the audience uh, demographic though, sixty percent female, seventy nine percent over the age of thirty five. We are the farthest thing from this demo. I yeah. definitely. I took a look. I saw this on a Sunday night. It was still pretty full. I think I was the youngest person there. I don't know about oh. you. Yeah, I went with. Um... My girlfriend Julianne, so she was the youngest person there. But right. <laughs> uh, we were probably the youngest by at least twenty years in our theater. It was a lot of old heads, which is fine. Yeah. Good. They they need something to watch too. So. Yeah, I know when uh, the uh, the end and and Chiron's come up where it's like uh, Judy died six months later, then she was forty seven. There's like a gasp, a little a small understated gasp in my thing. It's like. I mean, everyone knew she died young, right? You, right. You're, the, you're the olds here. You, you, you have more connection than me or, me or you do. Like, how do you not know that? Yeah. Plus, you also, you also, I guess I didn't know that this movie was showing me right before she died. Like, I didn't know a six months part, but right. I didn't know she died when she was dumb young. So mm-hmm. kind of no, funny I, that some people had no idea, apparently. Yeah, it was, it was the exact same experience. And walking out, Julianne and I were like, why the fuck did they gasp? Like, did you not know what was going to happen? Like, I, I guess maybe not that soon, but like, we all know she dies young. Like, right. Uh, and the, uh, and the way the movie's playing you at the end, you know, it's like, it's really trying to, you know, play a step on your heartstrings. And I, again, I think it's effectively done. Um, they don't play it that way to be like, Judy Garland turned her life around and lived to the ripe age of 85. Like, that's not how that ends. You know? No. Yeah. Anyways, why don't we wrap up there for this week, Dave, because we got some stuff to talk about next week. Tell the people what to be checking out. Uh, speaking of Oscars, Joaquin Phoenix, who has not won yet. Joker, baby. A lot to talk about. Lots of pre-release controversy that we'll dig into as well. The merits or lack thereof of that. There's plenty there. Uh, so Joker is coming out. Danny Brown, new album. Across the Expedi- Exhibition, his last one was... Mm-hmm fire now if you know what i'm saying that lead single dirty laundry is on our playlist love that track uh big mouths premiering on netflix if that's your jam people like that also peaky fucking blinders it's been airing in bbc we get the netflix release for us in the u.s come friday uh we'll be talking about the politician though which recently came out and then also on your radar we'll talk about this soon the succession finale this sunday and the mr robot premiere the final season so October, uh, and you look at the calendar, man. There's a lot of shit to listen to, to hear. So make sure you subscribe because we're talking about all of it. Hit that subscribe button uh, and uh, go to SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash NostalgiaPod to find all the ways to check us out. We appreciate you. Peace out. Yeah.